Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We will be finishing up Hebrews chapter 11, and what a fitting day to do so in a series in which we have entitled Walking by Faith. It was this day, years ago, that our King rode by faith to his very death, that we might have faith in him. So may we hear God's word afresh this morning, looking in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect when grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord shall stand forever and ever. Let's pray together. How thankful we are, O God, that you are triune in nature that you spoke all things into existence, that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, O God, are the true author of salvation, along with the Son, the, the one who would achieve salvation, and the Holy Spirit who applies it. We pray, O God, would you now speak, that we might see Jesus more clearly, love him, more dearly, and follow him more nearly. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a well-known pastor in Alabama, Birmingham, to be specific. His name is Harry Reeder. Maybe some or many of you have heard of him. He is what you might call a, a history buff. He, he loves history, church history. He often talks about heroes of the faith, and he gives his own opinion, his own counsel. How do you pick heroes? And he says there's really only two criteria in which you and I should find our heroes. The first is that they're found in the Scriptures. The second, that they're dead. And he says the reason for it is because the last chapter of their life has already been written. You already know who they are. You already know how they finished. And that's true, isn't it? When we think about heroes, 
what makes heroes. They're, they're often known by their character, what defines them, their characteristics. They, well, they inspire us, don't they? They convict us. They draw out deep desires of our heart, of what we want to be like, what we want to live like. There's a movie, not that you should use movies often in sermons, but uh, I'll dare to do that this morning. Year 2000, many of you have probably seen it. Gladiator, Russell Crowe, main character. His name's Maximus. The, the movie is about Maximus and his uh, war, his vengeance against a corrupt Roman emperor who has destroyed his family, killed his family, and in fact has done so in many other parts of Rome. But before you get to that portion, before there is a corrupt emperor, what you learn about Maximus, he is a highly esteemed general. And the movie opens up with the, they're, they're making a last stand. They're looking for one last territory to solidify the dominance of Rome. And they're looking at the, the land of Germania. And there's these barbarian and, and, and nomadic tribes that just will not surrender. And so Maximus, he, he mounts his horse and he goes before the men, before they are to go in battle. And he utters this one statement. What you do in life, what you do in life echoes for all eternity. What a statement before you go into the fight. How you live matters. Not just today, but forever. Right now, you might say, counts forever. Your work, what you do in the office, how you live amongst your family, in your community, how you walk by faith today, it matters. And not just for today, it echoes throughout all eternity. And that's what we've been talking about when we say walk by faith. What you do, how you live now, has a drastic impact on how you see the future. Or maybe we could say it the other way around. What you believe about the future drastically affects the way in which you live today. And that's what I want to look at as we finish Hebrews chapter 11. I want to talk about faith. Faith that conquers and we'll look at two particular ways in which faith conquers. And we'll finish with a, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? Look with me in verses 32b to 35, the first part of 35. What are we reading? Well, we are looking at the achievements of faith, you might say. We're, we're looking at the success of many men. Who do we read of? We read of Gideon, that story in Judges 7 in which he's got the 300 men. He obeys the command of the Lord with these empty jars and trumpets. And as he obeys, as he trusts in the Lord's plan and not his own, Israel wins. Barak, he is spurred on by Deborah and leads a united group of tribes against a Canaanite chariot army. You get Jephthah, he's known for fighting against the Ammonites, 
Samson, a a one-man army, you might say, against the Philistines. David, yes, the great king, the man after God's own heart. Samuel, the judge and the prophet. Stop the mouths of lions. I'm sure the image of Daniel in the lion's den comes to mind. Quench the power of the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Resurrection. Maybe you think of Elijah, the story in 1 Kings 17. Or maybe you think of Elisha in 2 Kings 4. What are we reading? What is the writer to Hebrews or in Hebrews telling us? He is showing us what does faith enable us to do. And he's saying, what does it enable you to do? Well, he says, conquered kingdoms. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. And all of that, he says, is by faith. By faith, not not good battle plans. Not your own leadership ability. Not even your own goodness. Not the quality of your army. Not the riches of your land. By faith. He says, they conquered kingdoms. It's so different than the world we live in, isn't it? The world in which says, have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself. We are watching March Madness. How many players finish the game and say things like, we just believed we could do it. We recognize the foolishness, don't we, of that statement. It might be true that you believed in yourself. That's not saving faith. That's not what Hebrews is talking about. Saving faith is to say that, God, I dare not trust myself because I cannot save myself. I trust in you now and forevermore. The the list of people, there's no mention of their plan. We don't read by faith. David had a plan and it worked. What we read is David had faith and God worked. What we read is God initiates. God sustains. God energizes. What we don't see in faith is Well, faith is not self-supported. It's not man-supported. Faith cannot support itself, nor the one who has it. What we are reading is faith is entirely dependent upon God from beginning to end. There is no room in which you take the reins and you demonstrate, look at how good I've done. Look at how great my faith is. It is dependent upon the Lord. When you aren't feeling it, you don't muster up faith to do something. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, moving you to act. When we talk about an increased faith, you don't increase it yourself. In fact, you rarely know that you increased in faith. And that's the point. Because you can't do it. When you read in the Scriptures and you find these Gentiles, by the way, 
in whom Jesus says, you have great faith. He never compliments the Jews on their faith. He only compliments the Gentiles of great faith. You never hear them say, yes, Jesus healed my son because I had great faith. No, rather, if he were here, the Roman centurion, as an example, he would say, I don't know. It was that man. I'm of little faith, and I was begging for his help. And he worked. By faith, we read. And the writer says, what are you enabled to do? You're enabled to conquer kingdoms. Now, that's not a prerequisite, you understand, to win a battle. It's not that you have to have faith to win military victories. I think that's why the writer continues, and he says, what? They conquered kingdoms and they enforced justice. In fact, it literally means established righteousness. No, these people, they had faith. They didn't just win. They led the people to do what is right. The way in which they won and what they did after they won, they taught people how to live righteously. It's by faith. It's seeing things happen that otherwise wouldn't happen. It's faith. That's the same for us, isn't it? You you read this faith that conquers success, and you wonder, what about these kingdoms? What about this kingdom conquering, enforcing justice kind of faith? We read of Joshua and David, when they are on their conquest, what do we learn? They are conquering people who are, well, they are fighting against God's people. They are trying to steal away the rightful inheritance of God's people. They are trying to invade and hurt, harm, and persecute God's people. And so by faith, what does God do? He gives them their rightful inheritance. He grows them. He establishes them. And there's nothing different today. There are still kingdoms to be conquered. And what are they? It's the kingdom of self, isn't it? There's the kingdom of self, the flesh. And you and I will not conquer it on our own. We will only see a kingdom conquered by faith. Joshua and David are just only examples there, aren't they? They didn't do this in one day. It took time. It took fierce faith fighting. It took patience. It took courage. And the same is true for you and me. If we want to see the kingdom of self die, the rightful inheritance of God in your heart, it will take faith. It will take faith in the Lord and His Word. There's the kingdom of the world. That's the one in which we live. How do we see it conquered? We faithfully proclaim Christ. When the world says no, when the world goes astray, we are to be salt and light. We are to demonstrate truth, hospitality, grace, righteousness, We are to live as faithful saints. 
Maybe you would say we, we need to be witnesses of Christ. You remember that picture, don't you? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected from the dead and he is preparing his ascension into heaven. And he's got his disciples and, and they're, they're excited. They're, they're saying, now is the time. Is that right, Jesus? You, you're about to take the throne. Israel's going to get it. And what does he say? Oh, no, dear brothers, you, you have totally misunderstood the kingdom of God. But I will offer you a promise. There's one coming, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, what does he say will happen? You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my what? Witnesses. You see, you and I, we read that word. And the the word witness in modern day translation, well, it just equals evangelism. But do you understand what witness actually means in the Greek? Martyria. And you can probably hear the English there, can't you? Martyr. Those who would witness, bear testimony to Christ in their bodies, to their death. When we say the word witness, what are we talking about? It is, a, well, it's offering a testimony. Evidence. A manifestation of something that is unseen. John Calvin puts it this way about the church. He says the primary purpose of the invisible church, the invisible churches, that is the true people of God. The primary purpose of the invisible church is to make Christ visible. That's witness. It's to live in such a way that people see Christ. We show that we are citizens of another kingdom. So the writer of Hebrews says, by faith, by faith, faith that will conquer kingdoms, faith that will establish righteousness, faith that will obtain promises. But there's another portion of what he talks about. Faith doesn't just conquer success. It conquers something else. We're tempted often to stop at verse 35, aren't we? The danger of stopping there. Well, it it leads to false impressions, false interpretations of what it means to walk by faith. If you stop before you finish verse 35, it's easy to say things like, do you know why you're suffering? Because you don't have faith. Do you know why you're sick? Why you are lacking. It's because you don't have faith. You're lonely. You're unemployed. You're physically unable. It's because you don't have faith. That is foolishness. The scriptures do not teach that health and wealth is the demonstration of what it means to trust God. And the scriptures here will tell you that. The Lord Jesus himself tells you that, doesn't he? What does he say? I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I I didn't come for you who think highly of yourself, the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. That you who would put your faith in me, my life, my substitutionary death, my resurrection, that you would have life eternal. That's why the writer to Hebrews keeps going 
and doesn't stop in the very beginning of verse 35. Let's read it together that we understand. This is what by faith, faith that conquers. It conquers something else, not just success. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Last week, I had the privilege of going to Orlando for the national conference at Ligonier. One of the speakers is affectionately he's known as Bob Godfrey, Dr. Robert Godfrey. And he said, when you read your scriptures, does it ever surprise you? Does it ever shock you? He added one, but I won't add that one for this morning. But I just wonder, when you read the Bible, does it ever shock you that this is here? That it's surprising that God would record such a thing? Because what are we looking at? Read verse 35. Some were tortured. You understand that that is not someone saying, I don't like you. You look ugly. This is a tying down to a device with a wrench tool that is turned and turned, pulling their joints out of sockets. Only that they might recant. That is the truth of God's Word. That is what he's talking about. In the 1500s, you and I probably often think of, well, 1517. That's Martin Luther posting his 95 theses. Did you know 38 years later, after Luther, the Mid-1500s, 1555 to be exact. Nicholas Ridley, the Bishop of London. Thomas Cranmer, often known for his Book of Common Prayer. Hugh Latimer, a great preacher of the gospel. They're put on trial. They're put on trial before Mary I, Bloody Mary, sometimes she is known They were in support of Lady Grey, and she loses. Mary convicts them, condemns them. They're going to be killed, all three of them. In fact, they're they're going to be burned at the stake. And so in 1555, actually in October, literally 38 years from when Luther posted his 95 Theses. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer are led out into the city circle. Ridley, being tied down, says to his captor, tie my bonds tight, for when the fire comes, I do not want to leave my post for Jesus. Hugh Latimer, hearing him, says, be of good cheer, Mr. Ridley, 
For today, by God's grace, you and I can light a candle for Jesus that shall not be put out in all of England. Play the man. And so these two men, bags of gunpowder wrapped around their necks, are burned at the stake. Hugh Latimer dies almost immediately. But not, not so easy for Ridley. He is heard screaming because the wood piled above his head. Lord, have mercy upon me. I cannot burn. About 150 yards down the road, Thomas Cranmer is put on top of the jail to made to watch. After the burning of Latimer and Ridley, Cranmer was brutally tortured for five more months. It was March of 1556. And Thomas Cranmer says, I give up. I'll recant. I can't do it. Well, his captors decided they would make a big spectacle of him. So they bring him in the very next morning to the chapel. Right in front of everybody. They put him on a platform. And they say, go ahead. Tell us of your recanting. What they did not know was God was at work. He had invigorated the bones of Thomas Cranmer, to which he begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, and so on and so on. And then he quotes the Nicene Creed. And then before all of them says, I recant of my recantations. And he holds his arm out. And this is the words that leave his mouth. I will put this hand forward that betrayed Christ that it might be burned first. How does one do that? It's by faith. You see, faith does not just conquer success. It conquers suffering. These men and these in your Bible were given the chance to recant. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. If you will just say, I do not believe, we will let you go. And you can have a great life. They were given choices. You can say no to Christ and you don't have to enjoy this torture. You can enjoy a peaceful meal, a nice warm meal, a bed. You can surrender to truth. I don't believe it anymore. You won't be tortured. Freedom from torture to forsake Christ. You recognize the work of the enemy, don't you? He's not as concerned about the torture of the body. He's concerned of the torture of the soul. That's what he's after. They weighed the options. They were clear with what was at stake. Do I want the present comfort of my body? Or do I have an interest in my eternal soul? And we should make no mistake... When you read of these people, 
They were men and women just like you. If you would have seen them, they would look like you. They had bodies like you. They functioned like you. They feel things like you. How can they endure such suffering? Imagine your own life. Because the same question has to be asked of you and me. What do you prize more? Your body or your soul? And what the writer to Hebrews here is saying, it's your life that will answer that question. Your actions. Not so much what you say, but how you live. And what I want you to understand about these dear saints in whom you don't even know their names. They were no less triumphant in their faith than those who conquered kingdoms and enforced justice. Being a Christian, we aren't guaranteed comfort. We aren't guaranteed a better life now. God leads some into trouble and leads others away from it. But it is He who determines that. He holds the lot. He makes that decision. And what is the point? It's that circumstances don't matter as much as your faith. That was what you read. By faith, by faith, by faith. They all experienced something different. So what do we do? What do we do now? Turn back and look in verse 32. I think the answer is found at the very beginning and towards the very end of our text. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of. What is the author doing here? Some have tried to rationalize and say he's running out of paper. That may or may not be true. I think what he has understood is his audience, who he is writing to. He is writing to a group of people who are undergoing great amounts of persecution. They can't hold on much longer. Not only can they physically not hold on much longer, their attention span might not even be able to hold on much longer. Get to the point. And that's what the author is saying is, I'm, I'm trying to get where. I'm, I want to get to somebody. And what is he trying to do? He is rushing himself to Jesus. He wants to be anxious about bringing forth who is Jesus when you are undergoing such trial and tribulation, when you are being persecuted, he's saying, we need to hurry and we need to find ourselves before Jesus. Because he's already said, there are promises. God has made many promises. Some of them you won't receive on this side of heaven. There's a beautiful statement about that. I want you to understand what he's been saying. That's not to say you won't receive any of those promises. Even in context, did David get the throne? Yes, yes, he did. Did God's people find themselves in the promised land? Yes, yes, they did. They didn't receive all of the promises. Why? Because there's something to be said about what is at stake in the fullness of God's promise. You and your sinful nature me and my sinful nature, in our flesh, we can't handle the fullness of God's promise. We aren't even physically nor spiritually prepared at this point to receive all the goodness and glory of God. That's why he finishes with a key word in the book of Hebrews in chapter 
verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. That word better shows up 11 to 15 times in the entire book of Hebrews. What is the writer saying? Jesus is better. He is your better hope. He is your better covenant. He is your better sacrifice. He is your better priest. He is your better prophet. He is your better king. He, Jesus, is better. He's better than anything you can imagine. And he's saying, because Jesus is better, he is most important, and I need to tell you who he is. We need to get to who Christ is. The great Charles Spurgeon shares a story one time between a a young minister and an old one. We'll say Pastor Smith and myself. (laughs) This young minister, he wanted feedback after a sermon. Went to the old minister, oh, well, what did you think of my sermon? Was it a good sermon? The old minister said, no, it was, it was a poor sermon, very poor. Really? It, did I not explain my text right? And Oh, yes, yes, young one, you, you did great. You explained the text. Were my illustrations, were they, were they helpful? Were they truthful? Did it fit? Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that worked. Poor sermon. Help me. Why was it a poor sermon? This is what the older minister said. There was no Christ in it. The young minister said, Christ didn't show up in my text. His name's not repeated there. It doesn't say Christ. It doesn't say Jesus. And I'm trained, we're trained to always preach. What does the text say? The old minister looked at him and said, young man, don't you know that from every town, every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there's a road to London, right? Yes, says the young one. Ah, and so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures, that is Christ. And my dear brother, your business is when you get to a text to say now, What is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon. Running along the roads towards the great metropolis, Christ. He finishes by saying, I've never found a text that doesn't have a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do, if I find one that does not have a road to Christ in it, I will make one. I will go over a hedge, a a ditch. I will get to my master, for the sermon cannot do any good unless there's a savor of Christ in it. That's what the writer to Hebrews is trying to paint this picture. We need to get to Christ. You need to know who Jesus is. You want to walk by faith. You need to know Jesus. You need to understand who he is. You need to understand what you might call your Christian privileges in Christ. And that's so hard, isn't it? Because you and I often don't live with the full understanding of our Christian privileges. A dear pastor friend of mine loves, loves Pilgrim's Progress. There's a second one. Christian, Christiana, that is Christian's wife. They, are, they have like a vision and Mr. Interpreter is with them. He's, he's showing them somebody and they... They see this man, 
He is, he's got a rake in his hand. And all he is doing is complaining. He's looking downwards. He's, he's digging in the mud. He can't clean it up, can't get out of it. And all the while, there's a crown above his head. He doesn't know whose he is. He's only focused on what is before him rather than what is above him. Do you and I miss our understanding of what our Christian privileges is? You have Christ as your king. Jim Elliot says one time, forgive me for being so ordinary all the while when I talk about an extraordinary God. Do you know Christ, the extraordinary Christ? Do you understand your privileges in Christ? That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith alone saves. It brings you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And it's helpful. It's encouraging when you read this list. There's such a variety, isn't there? There's men. There's women. There's rich ones. There's poor ones. There's ones whom were loved. Those who were hated. But what links them together? By faith. Faith links them together. It's because it matters most. Many of you whom are older, you often talk to us who are younger, and you say things like, oh, that doesn't matter. By the way, that doesn't always work in counseling. But you, you try to tell young people, I, I know that that's hard, but it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's very insignificant. What are you trying to get across to people like myself? Yes, I consider myself young. Danny, your job, that's not what's most important. Your house, your family, your clothes, your cars, your possessions, your status in the community, that's not what's most important. What you're trying to communicate to me. I've been reflecting, Danny, on my life. There's very few things that are of eternal significance. Give more attention to reflection. And what are you trying to tell me? Faith. Faith matters. It matters for all eternity. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11 is finishing like that. Verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith. What is he doing? He's putting these list of names down as a picture. There's a book. It's called the Bible. Their names are written for you and for me that we might understand. But do you know what else? This is not the only book. We have a book of Scripture. But in the book of Scripture... We learn of the book of life. And dear friends, let me tell you what the book of life will say about these people right here and yourself. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. And by God's grace, by faith, Danny. That is what will be written in the book of life. For any and all of you who put your faith and your trust in Christ, that is what we are looking forward to 
this next Sunday, this next Lord's Day is the resurrection that one day you will see your same name written in another book and it will all say, by faith. Because faith alone saves in Christ alone, through grace alone. And that's what we are here to remember as Christ enters into Jerusalem by faith. You and I, too, by faith, trust that what took place will bring you from this world into the next. Our great God and Father, we thank you that when we look back at the cross, it's the cross that teaches us that your promises are yes and amen because of Christ. It is your word that demonstrates our need for Christ. And it directs us to Christ. And as, oh God, we've been talking at length at what it means to walk by faith. Help us. Oh dear Lord, help us to have true and saving faith found only in Christ. We pray, oh Lord, that the power of faith in which has enabled some to conquer kingdoms and others to conquer suffering would come and help us to simply walk with you no matter the path no matter this side, that we would hold fast to our confession that Jesus is Lord. As the days ahead begin that great preparation in our minds, that you, O Christ, would enter the city hearing shouts, you were the king. And just in a few hours' time, you will hear different shouts, crucify him. We pray, O Lord, that you would remind us of the true King who has come to bring peace to the captive. The, the captive who puts their faith in Christ, whose blood washes our sins away, who reconciles us to a holy God. And so we make it our prayer this morning, increase our faith, that we would be able and willing by the working of your Spirit to faithfully fulfill all that you have called us to do being assured that our names are in the book of life and it will only be there as if it says by faith in Christ alone. We pray it in His name. Amen.